You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Obesity is a nationwide epidemic. Nowhere is this more apparent than in Mississippi, which was ranked as the state with the highest obesity rate in 2009 by the Centers for Disease Control. How does the obesity issue in Mississippi mirror that of the rest of the nation, and what efforts are underway to address this public health problem? Our guest today is Dr. Thad Waits. He's director of the Cardiac Catheterization Lab at Forest General Hospital, and he's an interventional cardiologist at the Hattiesburg Clinic in Mississippi. He's also a board member of the Mississippi State Board of Health. Welcome, Dr. Waits. Hello, Janet. Thank you. We are delighted to have you, and uh, I'm so happy that you are part of the crew that's tackling this problem for the country and especially for one of my favorite states. You've been working on the issue of obesity as a public health issue for some time. Tell us about the scope of the problem in Mississippi. Well, we have really been the epicenter for the obesity epidemic. As a state, we have a large population of obese and now aging, chronically ill, diabetic, and in many ways, unemployable citizens. So we, of course, know it's a huge problem. And it affects our health care cost. Uh, the cost of taking care of adult obesity was as much as about $800 million back in 2003. And a lot of that was Medicare, but a huge amount of it was also Medicaid. Boy. And the general causes and why Mississippi? Why is it particularly challenged? Well, I think it has to do with some disparities the disparities that I would like to emphasize on, one is, is age. We do have a population that is middle-aged and older, and that's the area that has the most obesity. The disparity is in education, and I think education and education and poverty and poverty are, are the kind of the four big things. It's been shown that non-graduates from high school have an obesity rate as high as 33%, which is more than the national numbers of 26%. And then if you look at poverty, then that just adds to the education part of it. So Dr. Richard Shazo, who was the uh, head of medicine at the University of Medical Center, has said that our obesity prevalence is related to history, culture, race, politics, education, and poverty, poverty, poverty. As we face a big problem like this, it obviously will take many hands to fix it. Maybe you could talk about how each player around the table could contribute to a better outcome. And, and you've already touched on a couple of these. So employers and educators, medical professionals, government, community, church. Can you kind of walk around that table and tell us how each contributor could contribute? Right. Well, I think we could start nationally, if we may say that first. And nationally, there's some real good projects that are, of course, extended into Mississippi. CDC has a project called Lean Works, and it's an, a workplace project trying to work on good nutrition as well as exercise. And then I think one of the best programs is First Lady Michelle Obama has the Less Move Project, which is working on mostly children, trying to get them to be more into activity as well as proper nutrition. Very allied with that, the National Football League has Play 60, and it's, uh, it's done their work in association with the Less Move Project. And then there's one called Chefs Move to Schools. And I understand the chefs have had some real eye-opening 
findings when they look at the nutrition in our schools, and the schools have had some real eye-opening findings when they see how they can be teaching better nutrition in their schools without too much major change there. And then if we look specifically here in Mississippi, our legislature did a great thing in 2007, had the Mississippi Healthy Students Act. Now, like so many things in the state government all around the country, you can make the acts, but then you've got to have the money and got to have some way to make it happen. So we have had the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has awarded Mississippi and the Center for Mississippi Health Policy a grant to make this try to happen. Our Department of Education has been changing the foods, uh, the healthy foods for breakfast and lunch campaign, been reducing the sugar drinks in the vending machines, been replacing it with low-fat dairy products are preferably water. And then the CDC has helped in Mississippi in funding some projects in the Mississippi Delta where our poverty is the most prevalent. In that area, they're working on community gardens, working on growing fruits and vegetables. The nurses in that area go to congregations. They're real cheerleaders in the community and with the churches to try to help them understand about exercise and about proper nutrition. One idea I read about was just so simple, I just can't believe we haven't done it already, is making high school gymnasiums open during non-school hours for everybody to come and work out in the absence of health clubs and sort of more expensive options. Yes, and that is part of that CDC funding as well as just such an easy thing to do. And they're working with the community leaders as well as the school leaders to make exactly that happen. And that's right, another real interesting program in Mississippi is they're switching from food stamps to actually a credit card type device or a debit card that can be used in the grocery stores, but any of the uh, referred to as SNAP recipients, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, they're now able to go into farmer's markets too. And the farmer's markets have a battery-operated device there, point-of-sale device, where they can sell fresh vegetables and fruits and so forth. One reason I think that this is so good is food deserts is such a major part of this. And I know people, when they hear about that term food deserts, think about the urban areas where there might not be grocery stores and high population areas. But it happens even, for example, in Mississippi, where in the rural areas where you might have to travel 15, 30, even more miles to a grocery store. So I think these farmer's market ideas are really good ones. And what a paradox, Thad, to be living in some of the richest farmland probably in the world and be in a food desert. Isn't that right? I thought that very same thing. The Mississippi Delta has the millions of years of the Mississippi River silt there and and just wonderfully fertile land, and yet you can't find anything but the high fructose products and the fast food stores to buy your food. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. It's the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Thad Waits. He's director of the cardiac cath lab at Forest General Hospital and an interventional cardiologist at the Hattiesburg Clinic in Mississippi. He's also a board member of the Mississippi State Board of Health. We're talking about the efforts to address the obesity epidemic in Mississippi and nationwide. Thad, you mentioned the Centers for Disease Control. Um, They've established six obesity prevention behavior changes. What can you tell us about these? So many things are just so simple, and these include from CDC health education, physical education, family community involvement. That's what we were talking about earlier. And then in the schools, trying to build a healthy school environment. And then getting into even beyond six, they have psychological counseling and social services and nutritional services. Just as a little personal anecdote, my granddaughter is a kindergarten teacher, 
and she tries to teach proper nutrition. In fact, her school has won one of the awards for being one of the healthy schools in, in the Healthy School Act here in Mississippi. But as uh, she was teaching her kindergarten students, one of the kids came in the day after he learned a few things and said, my mama's feeding me junk. Oh. <laughs> and so, you know, the education starts right there. And, and exactly. as we know with language, if kids get involved with the language of proper nutrition, within a generation, we can make a change here. Well, and I think you and I both have examples of our kids being instructed about the dangers of smoking and then having to teach them manners not to be rude to people on the street, rude to smokers on the street with comments like, you're killing yourself. So you're right, engaging uh, the young in the battle. You actually gave me a chance to go into a topic I'm very interested to hear your comments about is that education is vital. Knowledge is absolutely critical. But most of us live in a culture where all of the cues are about eating more and eating more often and eating foods that are easy to get. And those are all usually very high in fat and very low in nutritional value. So they they only make the obesity problem worse. What have you found both in, in your public health work, but also in your work as a doc, to help people fight the battle on a daily basis in a culture that's sort of working against them? Right. And just to expand what you just now said, I'd read this statement that as a species, as a human species, we have come to the point where food is easier to obtain and at less cost. And at the same time, when the work expenditure is so much different now than it was generations ago. Excellent point. That really makes it difficult. It's a perfect recipe for obesity. Exactly. And it seems that some of it, I don't know there's been proof on this, but some of it seems to be related to the high fructose corn syrup. The people out there who sell it may be disagreeing with me right as I say that. (laughs) But at the time that that was introduced back in the 70s, there were also tariffs introduced on sugar. So we went largely to the high fructose. And then the trans fats at the same time started being used more and more after the Second World War. I read some interesting data that in Denmark, when they uh, basically did away with trans fats, not only did they have less obesity, which they didn't have a lot of already, but also their mortality rate dropped very dramatically after they did that. And my understanding is that trans fats and hydrogenation came in as a preservative. A preservative end for transport. You could transport the the liquid so much easier. So the unintended consequence is that we eat really calorie-dense foods, not necessarily nutritional foods, and then, of course, we are less physically active also. Right. And from what I've read, the physical activity may not have dropped that much in the last number of years, whereas the calorie intake has increased a lot. And reading about the energy gap, it's interesting that it takes very little change, very little drop in the calories intake or the energy increase to keep from gaining weight, though it takes a lot of a gap to try to lose weight and maintain weight loss. So if we just work on the people, the kids, in other words, who haven't gained the weight yet, then within a generation to say that same thing again, we may be able to get some cure to this obesity problem. So let's get back to you're in the office, as you often are, faced with someone who's going to battle this problem. You've given them the knowledge about how they got this way. What's a plan that you might recommend? Well, first of all, I very often tell them, don't depend on what the scales say. And I think somewhere along the line, it's important to weigh every day. I know the diet people recommend that. But I tell my patients, don't depend on the scales. Just eat the proper healthy foods and try to get exercise. And generally, they'll always say, how much exercise? And my general answer is at least 30 minutes a day, at least five days a week. 
and just cut the calories a little bit at first, and then if if that's not working, then cut the calories some more, and you'll finally get there. But you just you got to stay on it. Dr. DeShazo again has a Southern Remedy weight loss plan, and I think that this is a real good one to present to patients. Is to try to cut by 500 calories a day, drink two glasses of water an hour before meals, control your portions, which, as you were mentioning earlier, is a big part of it, and then just a little habit thing, stop eating for a while, you know, like five minutes, ten minutes, and then resume eating, and maybe by that time the satiation stimulus will have taken over. You were also very active in the American College of Cardiology and in the leadership there. You travel both in the United States and outside. My understanding is this is no longer a U.S. phenomenon, that there are countries where obesity is at the top of the list in terms of their medical problems. Do you see anything unique about their problem? Would strategies that we're using apply there as well? Oh, yes. I think it will apply anywhere. And it is of note that in the world right now, there are, for the first time ever, more overweight and obese people than there are underweight people. And that's, so it is a worldwide phenomenon. But I think the same strategies are present for everyone. There may be some genetic differences in how you respond to calorie cutting and energy increase. Just like we were saying, as there are with individuals, there may be across racial lines also. But it still gets back to that same formula, cut the calories and increase the activity. Right. A small change, but over a long period of time consistently. And Janet, if I could tell you about a program that's going on in Mississippi, I think uh, this is a very impressive story on this. A former NFL player has a 12-week fitness program, and I love it that he's doing it in the Walter Payton Health and Wellness Center at Jackson State University. I think sweetness, Walter Payton, would be very pleased (laughs) that it's occurring at his, his university. But he's working with the legislature, and one of the main legislators there has now lost well over 100 pounds, They're doing it by an hour a day of physical activity, and what I understand is they do it at 5 in the morning before they get to the legislature. Not only are they helping cure obesity among the legislators, but I understand that the Republicans and the Democrats who exercise together get along well, so (laughs) some of the bipartisan rancor is controlled also. So sweating together has a beatific effect on the legislators, huh? Right, exactly. (laughs) We've been talking with Dr. Thad Waits about a multi-pronged effort to address the obesity epidemic in Mississippi and hopefully apply that nationwide and perhaps globally. Dr. Waits, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Dr. Wright. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.